I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hi, my name is Ali Vignon, coach of the Flyers. Hey, I'm Travis Konechny. Hi, I'm Paul Holmgren. Hi, I'm Matt Niskanen. Hey, I'm Scott Lawton. Hi, I'm Joel Farabee. Hi, it's Derek Graham. Hi, this is Bob Clark. And you're listening to Snow the Goalie. 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 Oh, yes! Ladies and gentlemen, now look, Anthony Sanfilippo, he'll be back this week. Fear not. I, the last I heard, Anthony is out of town. He might be playing softball. I don't know. And I know that some people have been DMing me, you know, wondering if everything's okay. Somebody said, have we reached critical mass? Have Russ and Anthony gone their separate ways? No, because as you'll notice, over on Crossed Up, the other show that Anthony hosts with uh, Bob Wankel, Big Bet Bob, down there covering the uh, Phillies, by the way. Follow him on Twitter, at Bob Wankel CB. Uh, Anthony has been out of commission from both podcasts, but don't, don't worry. He'll be back. So... A big thing happened uh, on Friday night, and it's something that we needed to touch on. I couldn't wait for Anthony to come back. And I had Colby Cohen on the show last week. We talked about, you know, uh, there was this rumor about, you know, 75% of the players in the NHL don't want to return to play. And how will that affect the potential vote on the return to play protocols and the potential of a CBA extension and returning to the Olympics? And could it possibly happen? And, and all throughout this, the, the one person that I've gone to quite a bit, uh, somebody with real insight, but not with a name that's attached to an account that has a cute little blue check mark, but somebody who has time and time again been ahead of the curve on the information uh, that is most pertinent to the league is a, uh, a man who simply goes by nerd, right? He's hockey not nerd. Hockey, hockey nerd. nerd. NRD, you can follow him on Twitter, and uh, I would recommend it, to be honest with you. Uh, I know that some people, they, they see a rumors account, and they freak out, and they're like, all right, this is just somebody who's making stuff up. Nay, nay, follow at NHL Rumors Daily, and this guy, I'll tell you, folks, he's got, he's got some real info. He's got some, uh, some, some feelers out there. I don't know if we say it's like got tentacles wrapped around the throats of, uh, of the different teams and of league sources. Is it planting your roots? I don't know how you want to describe it, but uh, NRD, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Russ. It's an absolute pleasure to finally be on Snow the Goalie. I know we've been talking about this for a long time, trying to get it going. What better time to have it than now to discuss the NHL being back, return to play has passed, the CBA has passed. So I'm absolutely excited to get this going. Of course, you know, the Only Flyers podcast brought to you by Cinch by Amerigas. Use our promo code ITSLIT5. They'll come out to your home, put your old propane tank outside. They will swap it out with a new propane tank 
full of that fabulous, fabulous grilling sensational propane for just $10. Use the promo code itslit5cinch.com, C-O-I-N-C-H.com, and DraftKings Sportsbook. Sign up if you're in Pennsylvania. Perhaps you're in New Jersey. Use our promo code CROSSINGBROAD, all one word. Sign up today. All right, so let's get into what actually passed. And it was interesting because I think, you know, anytime you go in and you think about even, well, we don't want to think about politics, but anytime legislation goes up, typically there's that, that pork barrel spending, right? There's that little uh, amendum that's added on. There's a bridge project that gets added on to some massive bill and people get upset. In, in fairness, it looks like this vote that the NHL uh, and the NHL Players Association's executive board put forth to general membership, put forth to the, um, the Board of Governors, was almost an effective way to guarantee that this league was going to return to play. Because not only were they proposing or, or putting to vote the Phase 3 and Phase 4 protocols, the training camp and, and the, uh, the return to play, the qualifying rounds, the, the round robin, but they, they added in a CBA extension that's going to now guarantee labor peace uh, through the end of the 2025-26 season, Correct. which is something that cannot be uh, uh, overstated. It's, it's something that people, quite frankly, have expected a Gary Bettman-led league to end up in, in uh, you know, turmoil. And instead, there's now CBA peace, there's a return to Olympic play, and the, the RTP protocols have been passed. I, I want to get from your perspective on you know, around the league, uh, from league sources, from team sources, from whomever, how important do you think it was to have that CBA and to have the Olympic return to play attached to the vote for the return to play protocols? I think the way that we've been talking about it and the way the media has been talking about it over the past couple of weeks has been the CBA has kind of hitched its trailer onto the return to play protocol vote. And I don't think that's the best way to look at it after talking to some league sources, because what I've gathered is that for the return to play protocol to happen, there's so many things that are outside of the NHL's control and still outside of the NHL's control. Hockey's back for all intents and purposes, but we have this thing called the coronavirus. It's still there. And if the health outlook gets worse, I knock on wood, I hope that doesn't happen that obviously can get pulled back, shut down. But the CBA, for the casual fan who does not know about the history of collective bargaining agreement in the NHL since Gary Bettman took over as commissioner, I believe it was 1994, 1993, 1994, Gary Bettman took over as commissioner of the National Hockey League. It's been a tumultuous one. We've had two lockouts under Gary Bettman's tenure, and we've never really had that labor peace, as you mentioned, between the NHLPA and the NHL. So after talking to some of these sources around the league, I've gathered that many are more excited and more um, putting more importance on the fact that this was a CBA vote than the return to play protocol. And that labor piece that you just brought up, I think is giving uh, a new sense of positive vibes amongst players, amongst teams, amongst executives, amongst owners around the league. And I think it's a really good thing for the game that the return to play protocol was added on to the CBA vote. And that's how I think we should start looking at it because it really changed the outlook of Gary Bettman's tenure as commissioner of the NHL. We finally got labor peace. We finally got both sides to agree to a deal without either of them being in the same meeting room. I mean, unprecedented times. This is all done virtually and over the phone. I think it's a good thing for hockey, and I think it's a really good thing for both the Players Association and the owners of the NHL and Gary Bettman's legacy. That's what I've gathered from talking to some people around the league. 
It is interesting. Like you think about where these leagues and where commissioners, uh, you know, what their standing was, you know, comparatively going into the 2019-2020 season. I think most people would probably say that Adam Silver of the NBA was probably the most highly regarded of the commissioners. And then it was kind of a, a jockeying position for who was the least worst remaining of Gary Bettman, Roger Goodell, and Rob, uh, and, and Rob Manfred. And, and it's weird because, like, throughout this whole pandemic, this strange thing has happened where people who I think historically have railed against Gary Bettman have kind of been forced into – recognizing that he is capable of making things happen. And it might not be the most painless process, but I think Gary Bettman's stock is probably the one that's gone up the most. Conversely, Rob Manfred has driven baseball into the ground and created this odd labor unrest that not only looks like it's going to exist past this season as they're, you know, trying to somehow come up with a CBA. And it looks like a lockout might end up happening for major league baseball in the next year and a half or so. But, Gary Bettman's stock has gone up and all of a sudden this guy who, you know, kind of waddled into the position as a basketball guy, as a, as an attorney uh, who many people for a long time have just kind of been like, well, you know, he's, he's there and, and he's not somebody that really understands the sport or really can identify with the players. All of a sudden Gary Bettman has probably his all time highest approval rating. And it's, it's weird. I don't know if, if you find it as strange as I do, but like, the concept of Gary Bettman now being looked at as a legitimate sports commissioner and somebody that like major league baseball fans are pointing to as a guy that Rob Manfred almost needs to emulate. Did you ever think this was going to happen? Never thought it was going to happen. Not in a million years, not as long as I've been doing NRD, which has been, it's actually going to be nine years this August. So I didn't foresee this ever happening. I will say this to the casual American sports fan, what we identify as a commissioner of a league, like a Roger Goodell or before that Paul Tagliabue is a spoke uh, is a big guy. He's like the president of the league. He runs the show, but really a commissioner's job is to be the spokesperson for the owners. The owners have the most control in a professional sports league, but Gary Batman, what he's done throughout this RTP and CBA negotiation is been an excellent mouthpiece for the owner, been an excellent, hand reaching out across the aisle to the NHLPA. And I really do think that it has improved the stock tremendously. I think he bought himself another 10 years of good graces of hockey fans getting us out of this, or at least six years for as long as that CBA is active. And I never would have seen this coming in a million years. It is funny though. Like I do wonder, like obviously the, the NHL draft, when it happens, there won't be fans present, but uh if the plan was to kind of go with the NFL draft idea of having the virtual fans and, and trying to shower him with, uh, with booze, the way that like Goodell oddly in that cardigan sweater decided to try to play it up. It's almost like, I think if you're an NHL fan, you might actually applaud him. If, if all things were equal and, and there were a magic vaccine that just happened to pop up and the NHL draft could happen, I think he would actually get cheered and it would be a very strange thing. Again, this 2020 that we're seeing proves that we're probably in the strangest timeline but i digress i'm alex rodriguez and i'm jason kelly from bloomberg this is the deal each week you're here in conversation with business icons this show will explore deal making across sports media and entertainment that is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together i didn't want to do another stomp you out speech it opened so, up so many you know, more doors the show is called the, the deal, deal. 
Listen to the deal. Listen to the deal on Spotify. Let's get into the importance of, uh, before we get into the return to pro, uh, play protocol, the return to the Olympics for NHL players. I mean, Colby Cohen and I talked about this last week, but it seems to be, you know, if, if you're looking to grow the league, the best way to do it is to make yourself as present as possible to the largest audience possible. And in, in my you know, opinion, not having NHL players available at the Olympics has been a real issue or could potentially have been a bigger issue as you look to grow the sport uh, over the next decade. How important do you think it was to the players, maybe even the owners, to get the stars of the NHL back on the, uh, the Olympic stage? I think it's extremely important. And to harken back to what Max Kellerman said on an ESPN sports program, I won't name the program because I'm very unhappy with Max for saying this, hockey's not a major sport in America, and that's his quote. And I think that getting the NHL stars and their players back to the Olympics on the world stage where sports fans, fans of competition, whatever you're talking about, people watch the Olympics. It's the most watched sporting month, three weeks, every four years that they have the winter and and summer Olympics. And I think that it is so important to growing the game, both nationally and internationally. Think about the sense of American pride when T.G. Oshie went back to back to back to back in that shootout and against Sergei Bobrovsky in Sochi. I think that it does wonders for the league in terms of TV deals, because now you're talking about these are players that are marketable. These are players that have been seen on an international stage. People fall in love with the names. I remember when TJ Ochi scored that goal, and I saw him on Access Hollywood the next night. These are things that are huge to both the players and owners alike. As far as the players go, nothing like playing for your country. That sense of national pride um, for any player, a part of any country, is gigantic, and I know they really want it to be back for that reason. I believe the next Winter Olympics is in Beijing, if I'm not mistaken. And I know one of, I think it's Beijing. If you can correct me. I'm going to look because I I genuinely don't know. I believe it's Beijing in uh, 2022. 2022. Yeah. Beijing. Yes. All right. It's in Beijing. And I know one of the big things is the NHL in China. They obviously went there last year and played a couple of games. I know this year, here's a little NRD bomb on snow, the goalie. I know we talked about a little, I talked about a very little bit on my Twitter feed because I didn't really want to go too, too deep into um, politics, and I kind of keep that out of the feed. And it was the scoop came into me at a time where things were obviously big with the situation in China and Hong Kong. But the NHL was planning on going back to China this upcoming preseason and playing preseason games featuring the New Jersey Devils there. And that flew very under the radar. It never went out because the NHL never um, finalized those plans. It was an active plan that was still in progress. And although it was never directly uh, confirmed, Elliot Friedman back in March, I believe, reported that the NHL has decided to not go to China for the, for the uh, upcoming 2020-2021 uh, season. That directly confirms what I'm saying, what I've been hearing, that the New Jersey Devils were slated to go to China. So I think the NHL going back there, especially in a country like China, where they've been trying to grow the game very hard over the past couple of years, it's gigantic, and I don't think it could. I don't think they could have done a better job by getting that into the CBA agreement. 
Well, the interesting thing to note there too, and, and, you know, I think the crossover between basketball fans and hockey fans, it depends on the market, right? Um, Based on what happened at the start of this season in the NBA, where um, Daryl Morey, the the Houston Rockets GM kind of spoke out, Um, he spoke in support of, of the Hong Kong protests that created a massive firestorm where uh, China decided that they were no longer going to offer to air Houston Rockets games in China. It put into serious doubt the potential of the NBA uh, having their games, any of their games broadcast in China because the Chinese government saw this as, as a major slap in the face, yada, yada, yada. It is interesting that potentially the NHL could look to grow the sport in China and almost fill the void that the NBA kind of created. And by the way, they never really addressed in a meaningful way. Um, I don't know how much you kept up with this, but like there were people who had gone to NBA preseason games with signs that were supposed to be in support of Hong Kong. And then there, you know, they, they did cutaways. There were um, people that were escorted out of stadiums for wearing those shirts, for holding up those signs. Um, the NHL, it would be a smart play for them to grow the game. And you're right, to be able to take the best players in the world that happen to play in the NHL and grow the game abroad in China. I mean, it's a, it's a huge untapped market. So when you talk about you know, the, the kinds of steps that the NBA, for example, took in growing their sport, playing to China and getting you know, the next generation of talent uh, you know, set up in China makes a lot of sense. Um, Let's get to the return to play protocol. So the Flyers, for example, are going to start. I think all, all teams are slated to start on Monday, uh, July 13th. They're going to do the uh, official training camps at their respective facilities from the 13th till the 26th. Um, some media is allowed in. I've already inquired because, in fact, this is the only uh, Flyers podcast. I was told that the NHL is only allowing uh, beat reporters who go to every practice to go down. So you will not see video, at least as of right now, no video from at Joy on Broad or from at Snow the Goalie. Very sad, very upsetting. Please be sure to voice your displeasure to the National Hockey League for such a policy. Although I don't expect many of the Flyers beat guys to go down for a myriad of reasons, including that I think many of them probably fall into high-risk categories. Uh, it is not the youngest beat, I will say that. Um, <laughs> In, in your opinion, how important do you think it is to have reporters available to cover these practices? I think it's very important, but I will say that with a very large but here. Have we not proven that the checkmark brigade, the old world beat reporter, the old world insider is meaningless when you have players like Joy Ambrod, you have players like, well, Join Bro with the Snow to Goalie podcast. Yeah, players like NHL Rumors Daily that have proven that this little old boys club of reporting of journalism isn't the wave anymore. And I actually think it was very um, encouraging to see that as part of the team personnel that's allowed to be in the hub cities, one social media manager of each team is allowed to go. And I think it's important that the league is starting to recognize that there's a world out there other than just print journalism. And while I think it's very important that reporters are allowed to still go and have that access, I can understand why they're saying it's only a select few and it's only a couple of beat guys that they trust because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. We've proven that we could run this just fine. 
Yeah. So, so I, I'm sorry. I apologize for the contradictory answer because it's really no, it's, a double-edged sword. It's a really double. It's really a double-edged sword. But I think there's some credence to both sides of it. I think it's important that fans have the access that they've continued to have. But I also also think with that same breath, you know, it doesn't matter because there's great accounts out there. There are great podcasts. There are great reporters out there that do absolutely fantastic work that don't have the credentials. So that access is going to continue regardless. It is interesting. And I, I think the only disappointing thing on my end for not being able to go down there. Now, look, the, the league has already said that there will be no access to players of any kind or coaches or team personnel. It, it is something that there will not be any kind of in-person thing. The way that the Flyers have uh, skate zone of four, he's set up with the conference room, like in theory, you could have social distanced it. They're opting. Obviously the league is the one that's mandating this, but they're opting not to go that route. Uh, it's going to be zoom availabilities. I can tell you that I'm also credentialed for the Philadelphia union MLS team. So like the way that they've gone about it, obviously they haven't allowed for uh, many to go into the bubble. I also wouldn't have wanted to go into the Orlando bubble for a myriad of reasons, but the way that they've gone about the zoom availabilities and the access to media uh, the access to pictures that are taken by the team photographer and the league photographer, the videos, like the way that they've set it up has almost made it uh, a, a moot point, kind of to your point. Um, sure, there is value in going to a training session, going to a practice, um, being able to note the line combinations, for example. But effectively, like there, there's not a whole lot that I think anybody's going to really miss out on. Um, most of the, of the, interesting information that I would have otherwise gotten. And I know Anthony would have gotten is really by virtue of just talking to the players in the locker room, which, uh, you know, I think as we kind of go into this, uh, we can't call it a post COVID world, but like once there's a vaccine and, and things are kind of back to some semblance of normal, you know, the hope is that obviously there's going to be locker room access again at some point, because so much of the information that you're able to, to, to get, um, and things that, that kind of reinforce some of the murmurings or the rumors that you hear within an organization come from players, coaches, and team personnel who you get to talk to in or around the, the locker room or the team's practice facility or whatever. Not having that is certainly a blow to that kind of storytelling, that kind of journalism. But um, I am a little bit bummed because I know I that it's going to be such a small group of people that will have access. And I'm assuming that most of them will not do it right. Uh, and when I say will not do it right, I mean, there are many who will likely go down there and don't know how to effectively use social media, don't know how to effectively go down and, uh, you know, record different parts of practice or do interactive kind of polling with, with fans. And it's something that like, to your point, sending a social media person for each team is so critical because getting the game out to a larger audience is important. And I am fearful, and it's not just for the Flyers, I'm not just trying to crap on, you know, some of the people who are down, you know, uh, covering the team, but like in any market, there's a certain group of people who I think are better set up to spread the word and, and spread the game and make the game more readily accessible and, and cover it via different multimedia platforms than maybe the, the, the most ardent traditional media person, if that makes sense. So uh, the coverage of it, I think, is going to be different, but I think it's going to be okay. Um, I do want to know from your standpoint, from the people that you've talked to in the league, teams, et cetera, have you gotten a feeling that there were dissenters, uh, people that were really against the return to play protocol that could have potentially upended what ended up being 
uh, 79% in favor of passing the RTP protocols and CBA. Were there any major player dissenters? There were some. There were some that have been explicitly told to NHL rumors daily. We're not going to be talking about that at that time due to, you know, a myriad of reasons, protecting sources and such. But it basically came down to this, as we talked about before. You had two parts to this vote. You had the return to play protocol and the collective bargaining agreement. And a lot of guys, a lot of players, when they were going into vote or they talked to their fellow players or their team representatives on the executive board of the PA, came to the conclusion, conclusion as follows. You really can't have one without the other. So some guys that had uh, adverse feelings to going back and continuing the season might have been on board with the new CBA or vice versa. Some players that really wanted to go back and play and finish out the season, have their shot at the cup, might have not loved the thing or two in the collective bargaining agreement, but they saw this as their opportunity to get back. So going hand in hand with both of those things, there were some players that were against going back but on board with the CBA and they kind of felt like, you know what, a yes vote is the best thing forward for not only the 2019, 2020 season, but the future of the national hockey league. And I think that's what prevailed. And we see that in the 79% yes vote, nowhere close to the 75% of players that don't want to come back. That some reporter, I'm not going to say the name. Eric Angles has a blue check mark. Has a blue check mark. You know, who doesn't have a blue check mark? NRD. So go figure. Here's the thing that, that I think made me mad about, the 75% number. Again, this is a thing that Colby Cohen and I talked about, and Colby obviously knows uh, a lot of players who are in the league currently and, and got, got the feeling that this was a, a little bit of a nonsensical number to put out there. But Eric Engels, uh, who covers the, the NHL for Sportsnet and I believe works around the Montreal Canadiens, like he was, he was the one who came out and said 75% of the players is what a player told him. Uh, and, and it never felt like that was a real thing. Now, there is a, an interesting thing here. I did not expect the approval number to be as low as it was. 79% is not exactly the kind of fall in line thing that I would have expected NHL players to, to go with. I thought that at worst, you would see a vote that was in the mid-high mid, mid 80s. 79% tells me that either there were a lot of players who were really adversely uh, or, or, or in major opposition to going back and playing or that there were some big voices or key voices on teams that were opposed to the return to play protocol. And then a bunch of guys on teams who weren't going to play anyway, just decided to side with, with friends uh, across the league and, and went that way. But I, I do wonder, and I think it's probably fair to put out there and we've already kind of touched on it, but like if the RTP and the CBA were separate votes, I do wonder if the RTP vote ends up being a, a lot worse. I mean, they just needed a simple majority, but 79% doesn't seem like a totally uh, traditional, cohesive hockey uh, NHLPA, does it? Absolutely not. And if we remember, the NFL collective bargaining agreement vote was also close in a way. But to your point, I think that if there were two separate votes, I think – you need the simple majority to win for, the, for each vote. I think you may have got 52, 53% yes on the return to play protocol, but you still would have gotten that 80, 82% mark on the collective bargaining agreement. I think the return to play protocol was the no force, if you will. I, I can't think of a better way to describe it, but I think the, 
the feelings of no came from more of the RTP side than the collective bargaining agreement. Everything that I've heard about the collective bargaining agreement was done completely hand-in-hand hand with the players and the league. And even Alan Walsh, an agent for Octagon Hockey, very outspoken on Twitter, very insightful too in, a, in his account, talked about how the players, his rep- uh, the players that he represents were very happy with the collective bargaining agreement. And I think there is a lot of truth to that. I think that the votes would have been very different if we had two separate votes. And I can't say with 100% certainty that return to play would have passed. From what you've, uh, what you've heard and from what we've seen, uh, it looks like, for the most part, the bubble that's going on in Orlando is pretty restrictive. There have been players uh, in the NBA who have already spoken out against uh, some of the practices that they've, they've seen employed uh, in hotels and around it. Uh, players in MLS have talked about the anxiety um, of you know, going from hotel to, uh, to stadium and back. And that the idea of, of COVID and the, the potential to contract the virus is something that weighs on your mind heavily. The NHL has kind of taken a fusion between the bubble that you see the NBA and MLS taking and the absolutely insane, arguably asinine uh, plan that Major League Baseball has rolled out, which is uh, have fun traveling play. With, within, your, within your region. But, you know, go play all these games in different parks. Expose yourself to... X number of stadium employees, new stadium employees, uh, none of which are quarantined, none of which are uh, likely being tested. It, it seems like Major League Baseball is setting itself up for a uh, mess of a season, probably a, an outbreak of sorts. The NHL opted to have both hub cities in Canada, Toronto, which was a little bit questionable given some of their COVID numbers, and then Edmonton, which I think they probably wanted to have as a hub city and then there was an outbreak in a hospital so based on what you know you know the the long-held rumor was that vegas was a sure thing and the nhl wanted to see if toronto could get it together so that you'd have one city in the u.s one city in canada but it seemed like a little bit of a shock to the hockey world that both cities are in canada Uh, One, do you think it was the right call to have both hub cities in Canada? And two, what happened with Vegas? I think it's absolutely the right call to have both hub cities in Canada. And I think it goes deeper than just health. I think it goes more so to the dollar. Obviously, we know the Canadian dollar is a little weaker than the U.S. dollar at this point. I think it's cheaper for the NHL to pull off. And that, in part, is one of the reasons why the NHL demanded a Canadian hub city, at least one from the get-go. Vegas absolutely screwed the pooch, for lack of a better term. Bill Daly confirmed today as such in that Zoom call with the NHLPA. Vegas had it in the bag. They were at the one-yard line. Plans were set. Hotels were booked for Las Vegas to become a hub host city for the National Hockey League's return to play. But cases spiked out of control there. Obviously, the NHL had a little bit more insight into the numbers and facts that we did, and they felt completely uncomfortable with sending their players, their employees, and their personnel into that city do i think at the end of the day it still probably could have worked based on what the nhl is putting out there what would be their hub uh city protocols i think it could have especially in a city like las vegas where the hotels there the restaurants are all inclusive inside the resort and Mm -hmm. i think it could have worked but obviously you always want to play it safe and especially now more than ever you want to play it safe so i think it was the right decision to go and put both city uh both hub cities in canada Vegas had it 
And I think there was a lot of people confused as far as, you know, my social media feedback saying, NRD, what happened? You said Vegas was a lock or Vegas was in the bag. What went wrong there? And I think it was simply because cases rose to a point where the NHL said, can we do it in Vegas? Yes, but the optics aren't going to be good if we do, number one. And number two, why take that risk, especially when you go a little bit north and you go over the border into Canada, as long as you get their approval from that government, we can do this cheaper and safer in Canada. So I think at the end of the day, that's what it came down to. I don't think there's ever any, um, personally, from what I've heard, and there was rumors popping up in and out towards the end there as we got closer to naming the hub cities. I don't think there was any credence to Los Angeles having a shot. It was just too many factors at play. Obviously, California's stringent restrictions, as well as the fact that the practice facilities were a half an hour bus ride from that LA Live setup. Chicago, that was in there, but I heard as well that wasn't really a big consideration for the league. Chicago opened up very near when the league picked their hub cities. The NHL wanted to see at least uh, a week and a half to two weeks worth of data once the city was open to see if cases would rise or fall from that point. And at the end of the day, yeah, Canada just made sense for the National Hockey League. I was wondering why Winnipeg was never an option, and then it turns out they don't have an airport. So that's probably why Winnipeg was never an option from the get-go, but it makes complete sense. So I think they made the right call with that. Chicago is interesting because they're, they're currently running the basketball tournament there, um, and it seems like that's gone off pretty much without a hitch. It's made people kind of question if the NBA should have looked at Chicago uh, as, as a – you know, a, a real legitimate spot instead of just going into the uh, ESPN wide world of sports. But uh, anyway, the, the Vegas thing is interesting and it, it does feel like a missed opportunity, but you know what, like at some point uh, it was the Vegas mayor said that, the, you know, she was cool with the idea of them being the, uh, the Guinea pigs for the reopening. And it doesn't seem like it uh, worked out too well. So both hub cities are going to happen in Canada and it, you know, it could be a, it could be worse. It's I not just a- want to, I just want to add in really quick. I know you mentioned the NBA before at the ESPN Worldwide Sports Complex in Disney. I know there were a lot of complaints from NBA players. I'd sign up for Mickey Waffles and the Grand Floridian any day of the week. So as far as that goes, I would have looked into that if I was running the league. That would have been awesome for me. So Nice little Mickey Waffle to get your day started. Nothing, nothing quite like seeing the beautiful face of Mickey Mouse to get yourself hyped up to go out and put it all on the line on the ice. I love it. I see it. Um, the last thing that I have for you, you mentioned a little bit ago about something, you know, falling apart at the one yard line. Um, the New Jersey devils have hired Lindy Ruff as their coach, but there had been rumors, I believe as recently as may that Peter Laviolette, former flyers coach. We love him. Everybody in Philadelphia loves Peter Laviolette, uh, that he was in the mix for the devil's head coach. And you and I had gone back and forth in DMS about this, but wanted to, to see if you would uh, enlighten the, the fine folks. Was there ever really a chance that former Flyers coach Peter Laviolette could have taken the helm uh, of the New Jersey Devils? There was a great chance that Peter Laviolette was going to become the next head coach of the New Jersey Devils organization. In fact, I will go as far to say Peter Laviolette was penciled in as the New Jersey Devils head coach as of 2 p.m. on Wednesday before it leaked out later that night from Kevin Weeks that Lindy Ruff got the position. Now, at the time, I tweeted out my little gif, my little teaser, and Devils fans got all up in arms about NRD saying LaViolette was going to be the next head coach, and it turned out to be Lindy Ruff. Later on, it comes out from Elliot Friedman, who has a check mark, by the way, that 
<laughs> that Peter Laviolette was in negotiations with the New Jersey Devils for that head coaching position. And basically what happened there was Laviolette's number was just too high for the ownership of the, of the organization to go. I believe he was looking for anywhere from around four and a half to $5 million. And it's a steep price for a great coach. And don't get me wrong. Laviolette is a fantastic coach, but wasn't where New Jersey wanted to go. They pivot right away to their second in choice, Lindy Ruff, which at the time I heard was a little bit of a smokescreen. Obviously things changed there. He probably had a better shot than what I've heard. Obviously he had a better shot than what I heard at the time at that job. But Laviolette was the devil's original plan, choice, whatever uh, verbiage you want to put in there. And things kind of fell apart there. So before everybody gets all up in arms about what happened with Laviolette, was that not good info? It was. It was confirmed. It was fantastic info. And Laviolette stuck to his high asking price, and the New Jersey Devils just simply didn't want to go there for that position. Not entirely surprising given uh, David Blitzer and uh, Josh Harris's uh, propensity for liking to pinch pennies from time to time. It is interesting uh, to think that Lavi could have been coaching in the same division, and I think it would have caused a, a little bit of a uh, conflict of interest for Flyers fans because uh, people just want to see Lavi succeed. But Lindy Ruff, don't care about him. So, you know, let the devils burn. Um, anyway, this has been a, uh, a fun, fun time here with NRD as we celebrate the fact that hockey is back. Oh, yes! Hockey's back. A great moment for the league. And now we begin phase three protocol, formal training camps. They start on Monday. They go for about two weeks. And... By the 1st of August, we're going to have games back on our screens. Uh, before you head out, how excited would you say you are for the return of hockey on a scale of uh, 1 to 10? 15? Uh, wow. Maybe 16. Uh, wow. It's obviously been a wrong road from March 12th, I believe, was the day that the national – it was the last day of games for the National Hockey League, and it's been a long journey since then. Obviously, there's some ups, there are some downs. There's a lot of information coming out from everybody. I just want to, you know, honestly, see, I say it on every platform I go on. I want to thank all the fans and followers for kicking it with NRD, especially you. I know you've been a big supporter of mine, and I really appreciate that. And um, I'm very excited for hockey to return. I think, I think it's what we all need in these crazy times in 2020 in this screwed up year. I think a uh, sense of normalcy in the form of sticks on the ice will be gigantic, and I couldn't be excited. Uh, couldn't be more excited to watch. Thanks for listening to Snow the Goalie. Don't forget, go follow us on Twitter at Snow the Goalie, Instagram at Snow the Goalie, Facebook.com slash Snow the Goalie. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play Music, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasting. Also, including uh, iHeartRadio. I don't know how many people actually go over there to listen to podcasts, but we're there as well. Pretty much anywhere that you would want to find your podcasts, you, uh, you find them there. By the way, I know that we did get uh, at least one new uh, five-star review over on Apple Podcasts. I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait till Anthony's back because it makes him smile. So we're going to wait. So in the meantime, if you want to go over and leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, make sure you do that uh, before, let's say, Tuesday of this week so that I can read it while Anthony's on the show. Make the, make, the, make the guy smile a little bit. You know, who doesn't want to have a smile at this point? I think a lot of people are smiling. Hockey's back. And by the way, don't forget to go follow NRD over on Twitter at NHL Rumors Daily. So for NRD, for Ant San Philly, I'm Russ. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you again in a couple of days.